Hello and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with Cornelius, where I, Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan, discuss, chat and hypothesize on all things from fatherhood, marriage, comedy and everything else in between. From time to time, there will be special guests, but mostly it's going to be me and some regular contributors, including my main squeeze, Noelle Patricia O'Sullivan, a.k.a. The Wife. So sit back, relax and enjoy Conversations with Cornelius! Yeah. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode. Do you want me to clap, Dan? Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Cornelius. I'm your host, Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan, and since the last episode has occurred, it has been a week for you to listen to it but it has actually only been how many minutes maybe 10 or 15 10 minutes maybe yeah. 10 minutes for us um we've had a toilet break we've had a smoke break dan is having some mawows Dan's the producer of this podcast shout out to the only funny german brilliant comedian just hit 10k on instagram follow him follow him follow him and uh, he's in the coca club every week as well and myself and mike were just reminiscing there before we got going um just about the first part of the podcast, which is your early life in Newmarket, Mike. Yes. And does there any, before we move on to the second part, is there anything you want? Is there anything you missed out on, or anything you wanted to talk about from those days that you felt I f- I, I didn't think of a question, or you know anything you wanted to no, talk about? No, we were just talking about how violent it was growing up. Mm. It was really gang related around towns and stuff, and we. We hated our next door neighbor, but we hated the next street over, and we hated the next town beyond that, and it grew and grew, yeah, in every facet of life, yeah. So it was just <coughs> dog eat dog world, and it was, it was you were going out for the dance or the disco on Saturday night, but you always knew there was going to be a scrap somewhere along the way, yeah. And it just was, it was life. It was just the way life was. And it was this. Was that the same in? Um, was that was that the same all over? Like do you know, like. Do you think that was the same in Mallow or Mitchellstown? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because no matter where we ended up, and maybe it was us that were instigating <laughs> it, but no matter where we ended up, there was always... Trouble. There was always trouble, and there was always an enemy to be had. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some knockdown drag outs. I mean, we used, we used to go to Castle Island, a place called Woody's. Yeah. Which was, again, just a nightclub type thing on, the f- on a Saturday night. And that was when we were in the biker stage as well. We had motorcycles. You were dri- How old were you at this stage? Uh, I'm probably in 18, 19, 17 to 20, I'd say, somewhere in so that So you're, you're, you're 17, 20 years old. You're fucking young, dumb, and full of cum on your motorcycle. No helmet, I presume. No, we did have helmets. You had helmets. Yeah. But would you be having a few pints? Absolutely. Just drinking and driving on the motorcycles fast? Oh, oh up sidewalks, up the footpads, though you name it, wherever we could get by. I'm starting to see the common denominator here now in the fighting. All right, <laughs> like your biker hooligans, like coming coming into town we drinking. Were, we went to we were going to a rally one time, a bike rally back in Kerry somewhere, and uh, we got kind of held up in Tralee or one of these bigger towns, and there was tra- too much traffic, and so all of us, about seven or eight of us on bikes, would go up the sidewalk, you know, and just no care in the world for pedestrians or nothing. Just flying down the street and co- jumping back on the street between cars when you could get an opening. 
But then when it closed up again, you were back on the sidewalk, back on the footpath. Assholes. Yes, and I remember we got chased out. I think it was an off-duty cop or guard who was parked there and saw us, chased us down about five miles out of town and got out of his car and started beating on one of the guys. We'd pulled over on the bikes a little bit to figure out who this asshole was behind us, but he was the law. <laughs> and we had just broken a bunch of rules. <laughs> And that yeah. was just a regular Saturday night. And that was just a regular day trip, just an out for a, a Sunday drive. You probably couldn't find anyone to fight, so you said, fuck this, let's try and knock someone over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So they were so wild wild times. Wild times. Wild times, and I'll never forget we, we got to that rally and we were the nomads at that time. Newmarket had their own we had our own little So you had a biker ga- gang name? A biker yeah, nomads. How many were in the fucking gang? We ha- probably had about a I'd say eight in the market, but we became part of the Blackwater Motorcycle Club, which was out of Mallow, and they had about ten. So we all in all, with the Blackwater Motorcycle Club, we were twenty or so bikes. I'd say fucking intimidate and and like you weren't sh- like were you the, the aggressive crew coming in with Mallow? Who was in the Mallow group? Do I know anyone in the Mallow group? Um, Frank Lenehan, no, one of the guys we're eating tomorrow, and yeah. there was a guy called Towser. Yeah, um, Mickey Cotter was one of them. Yeah. And we all, we, I mean, we had our denim jackets with Parazon in the back with our nicknames in the black. So we had Caesar. A color, a Caesar was on there, yeah. And we, we all had the pins, you know, with the yeah. motorcycle pins. The North Cork motorcycle. I just think, I never black fucking water. knew this is fucking mad. Like Blackwater like Motorcycle Club. Blackwater, what's, like, you're the Sons of Anarchy, the original Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. The we Sons of Dohalla. We were posers, <laughs> really, we weren't. Yeah. What kind know. of a motorbike did you have? Oh, for fuck to do a little wimpy thing. A Honda 50. <laughs> no, it was a bit better than a Honda 50. My first one was a Suzuki 125. 125 oh, is yeah. It's their trail bikes. They were street legal, but you could also jump them on the dirt or yeah. go to the quarries and do stunts. It, it, it didn't matter them. what you had, really. More like once you were, I'd say it was a good buzz, though, rolling into town with 20 dudes with your oh, name patched on and the wind in your hair and... Seven or eight pints on board. <laughs> yeah, and the, the rallies were something else. You'd spend all day trying to get to the rallies, and it was a whole weekend. You'd go camping on the bike, so there'd be a big field where everybody camps, and then you're into town. There's only two pubs in town, but they're chock-a-block yeah. with bikers. Fucking brilliant. And uh, and would you fight with other biker gangs? Yeah, there'd be a few scraps. Actually, they, they were actually one of the more civil times we had when all the bikers got together. Yeah. We didn't really... You were kind of of the same kin, like... Yeah. We were yeah. brother, brethren, 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 yeah. But uh, there was always accidents because I remember one time Finbar was doing wheelies. He had the Suzuki one eight five, and he was mad for wheelies. Finbar, for context, is our uncle, Michael's brother. And he did, he was doing a wheelie through town, and bashed into a car, and uh, the ambulance had to come and take him into the Trilly Hospital, from wherever we were. Just it's and <laughs> the, the place was a little village. Probably 10 miles outside, I can't remember the name of it. It was called a Desmond Motorcycle Rally, but I don't think it was a Valley Desmond. There wasn't anything like that. But but anyway, on the way, so we, somebody came in and said, all right, who's the leader of the nomads? <laughs> you know, we didn't have a really designated leader. But I, I put my hand up for Caesar. And Caesar, and of course. It had to be fucking Caesar. And we had Prez, the Prez there as well. I remember the Prez, yeah. And he, he was the president because he became the president of the U Club in the market. And he was the biggest cowboy, the biggest gambine you ever met in your life. The press. He, he kicked the shit out of you. <laughs> but anyway, on the way into see Finbar in the hospital, we all drove in, we all jumped on our bikes out of the pub after 10 miles. 
<laughs> of infantry and Jacko was another one of our guys. And Jacko, on the way through anyway, missed a bend and ended up in the field and another ambulance had to come with him. <laughs> on the way to meet <laughs> Finbar in the ambulance. Yeah. He said you'd have ten you'd stop off and have ten points, then go to meet Finbar and then on the way to meet him <laughs> another he, fella goes. The other guy jumps the ditch in <laughs> the bike and had to have an ambulance come and get him. <laughs> it's like the dominoes. Yeah, so that wild, wild times. And that's just a snippet of one night <laughs> at one of these, which there was one every weekend all summer long. Yeah. And you're different parts of the country, you know, and you just meet I'd up. say it was, what, like, enjoyable times? Absolutely the best of times. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any girlfriends? I did. I had one in every port. Well, did you have one in every port? So did you didn't leave any girlfriend behind, like after you went to to America. Well, or did you? I don't know if you were. You probably don't remember. Oh, no, sure. Look, I was sure engaged I to one girl. Fuck off. Before I left, yeah, yeah, and I was still engaged to her when I I. Are you still engaged to her? I like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> she she know you're married. She does. Yeah, I, she does. I'm sure she does. But I haven't seen her since I you know over forty years. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, Kentork girl. Yeah, and and um. Did you have to break that off then, like? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well. It was kind of an on and off thing anyway. We were back and forth quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving to a different continent, Rufo can kind of sort that out, do you know. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna pick up where we're gonna pick up where we left in the last uh, uh, p- podcast, Mike. And um, right, that was the pint at Dirty Nellies before I got on the jet plane. You were on the pint. You had the pint with your with your dad and your buddy. And then I lived. I lived uh, that song that is when I landed at Kennedy and a big yellow taxi carried me and my bags through the streets and the rain. You know that one? I do. And that's exactly what happened. Is it? It was raining when we arrived, and a big yellow taxi took us to the Bronx. The very first night. What had you? What had you lined up? Nothing. One second. You nothing at all lined up. No, Derry had a, a name of a distant relative, and I had a book with a couple of names and addresses of John's friends. Not that had moved out. The bird yeah. was one of them, and but uh, we didn't. Nobody knew we were coming, and. We didn't give nobody got heads up on it. But there was no internet, you see, and there was no cell phones no. or mobile phones, and it was l- landlines, and it was expensive to make phone so calls. Yeah. So you couldn't, like, organising stuff was... Yeah, and Derry got a hold of this one distant relation who lived in the Bronx, and he just told us to get the cab out to a certain corner, which was Broadway and 176th Street or something up, high numbers anyway. And he picked us up at the corner, but all he did was took us to a local motel, which was one of the scariest things I've ever seen, because you're in the Bronx. Oh and, you know, you've heard about the horror stories of Bronx. and Like, what was that like? You've landed, you're, now, you see, you're, a, you're, you're talking about being a biker gang, fucking lording it around North Cork, which are Mickey slapping yeah. off <laughs> your knees, you know, and everyone afraid of you. And suddenly, you're fucking landed into the Bronx, where, you know, there's... It's not fist fights. It's guns. It's fucking crying. Yeah, it's, well, you know, it's I mean, we didn't, but you did. I remember going into the motel room and taking the only the bag. We only had one bag each. All everything we had in our possession that we we're going to have to carry us six months or freaking six weeks or six days or six hours. We didn't know. And I remember all these guys just leaning over the second floor railing, you know, and it was hot and humid in New York at that at that time of year. It was in August. And you just felt like your eyeballs were on you and you were 
Yeah. And they were eyeballing the suitcase probably and you know. Yeah. So we didn't sleep too much the first night. We were kinda of one eye on the door and one eye on the bed. And the next day I looked up at an address of it was a girl actually, her sister. I used to date her sister, but she they had an apartment in New York down in Washington Square Park, which is right down in Greenwich Village, the heart of Greenwich Village. And so we took a bus and a subway and we got ourselves close enough. And then we walked and I found the building, the apartment building. Walked in and sat in the lobby all day till I recognized her coming home from work or whatever. Go away. And she walked in, I recognized her, and she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, we're actually looking for a place to crash. <laughs> <laughs> and she put us up for three weeks. Wow. And gave us enough, that was enough time to get the bearings. Get a job. And try and get, get a, a job. Place. And I didn't get a job. I got a job in New York. I didn't. I, they tried to get me a job because once you got, we got settled and stayed in her apartment, we kind of got integrated into the Irish community a little bit. Then we went out to the Bronx at Gaelic Park. Yeah. And I played hurling for Cork in Gaelic Park. You played hurling for Cork in, in Gaelic, Gaelic Park. Gaelic Park in New York. Well, now, Michael, if I had known that you played hurling for Cork, I would have omitted the Gaelic Park part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would have been like, my uncle has played hurling for Cork. How dare you suggest that I'm shit? <laughs> I'd have used that to try and get into the hearty panel. And if I remember right, I think it was Waterford we beat. And where but it was play? hurling. I was I was a half back. Half back, Jesus. Left half back. Did think, you yeah. wear the red jersey? Had you? Oh yeah, we had jersey. They had jersey, sponsored jersey, the whole lot out there. But uh, pretty much every county in has a representation in, in New York, and Gaelic Park is the is the Crow Park of. Yeah, you know they won there recently in the <coughs> championship. I did. I saw. I was listening to that on the radio when it was going on. Yeah, and then they came up. I think was it Leitrim beat them then? Or no, they beat Leitrim, was it? And then them. Maybe Sligo beat them then in the next round, but they were the fact that they beat that they won, and they had a couple of homegrown players that were born and bred in in America, right. which is very exciting for the GA. Like you know that that's happening. But uh, so you played in Gaelic Park, you I played did. hurling in Gaelic Park, hurling, yeah. and you represented the county. So you're in a motorbike gang. You're like now you're over in the states and you're playing wing back for Cork. Like this is. You know, if you're writing this out, you know, these are dreams that a lot of kids would have, like. Right. Um, so, you d where did you go? You couldn't get work in New York? Well, I actually, when you got integrated into the Irish community, everybody was figuring you were there to get work, right? So, they were trying to find you, and there was a couple of your, your dad's friends who knew I was a, g a garage man. So, they got one of them, got me a job in a, in a, a kind of a service station. Yeah. Where it just is more or less just a person. There's only one bay in there, but you'd change oil or something or simple stuff, you know. So I ended up accepting that job, but where we stayed and where I had to go to work, it was out in Queens or someplace or way out there. It was t I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning in order to get there by nine. Oh, Jesus. And then in the evening, because I, I remember the first day, I was there one day, and it was about five o'clock or six o'clock in the evening. I said to the other guy, I said, when did we quit around here? Said so when the last car leaves, that's when time the day is over. Oh. I said, "Fuck this." Yeah. So I only did one day. I never went back there. Yeah. Never went back to get paid for the day either. Yeah. And I think I fucked up a couple of jobs. Yeah. Were you wild enough, so Mike? Were you kind of free spirited <coughs> kind of a character? Yeah. Like? And then I moved to Boston. I decided I was ahead enough with New York. I did you just go by yourself to Boston? I did. And did you what what, how, what like how did that go? Do you just go? I'm bringing my bag there, and I'm going to head off to Boston and. Wait in the lobby for some other person that I know. Pretty much, well, Billy Scanlon lived in Boston, oh, and I had his address. Yeah, 
Was he on the run at the time? No, he was. <laughs> <laughs> was he on the run at one time? There was one fella that she had to drive to the airport late at night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, go on, go that's on. behind the curtains. <laughs> Just to keep that behind the curtain. Go on, go on, go on. So you went to Billy Scandal in, in, in Boston. Yeah, and he was staying in a... In a Kind of an apartment over a house, you know. I was actually more like an attic. <coughs> and uh, Billy, kind of Billy opened the door and he went off. We went and <laughs> but he kicked me the next morning. He goes, "Hey, Mike, come on, I got your job." I'm going, "Fuck's sake, I just got here. I don't <laughs> want a job yet. I mean, let me let me have a day or two to just figure out what I'm doing." But I went out and uh, started working for this guy called O'Brien, who's Irish construction company, O'Brien Construction. Yeah, they used to do blacktop with tarmac and driveways and parking lots and stuff. Okay. And uh, so I started doing that for him, and it was it was daily paid and stuff. So it was it oh, was handy. It was handy, and then I met Frank Frank, who was in the bike and backwater motorcycle club over here, and I knew him, but I didn't know he was in the states, and he didn't know I was in the states. So you just met and I met randomly. An, an Irish bar because he had dropped his wallet, and the bar, the wallet got handed in over the bar, and he was the barman was calling out his name, Franklin, Franklin. And I was going, she's that name, rings a bell. And I said, that's Frank. And then I saw him hand the wallet back to some guy. And uh, she said, looks like Frank. But Frank now had grown a beard, so I was a little unsure. But after staring at him for a while, I'm sure it made him feel uncomfortable. Uh, it was Frank. And then Frank came to work with me at, L at O'Brien. And then would the winter set in, because this now would have been November. It gets really cold in Boston, really cold. Lots of snow and shit. Ice slipping on the same patch of ice every day you walk out the door. And so Frank and I said, put a plan together. We were going to California to send the surf and the girls, right? Oh. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. So we... What went wrong? <laughs> you never we never got to California. <laughs> but uh, we signed up with this company called Drive Away, which if you have a driver's license, you can... You know, there's people that want cars moved across the country, so you... You sign up and you get called, and we got called by a car going to Dallas. Right. And we looked at each other, that's about halfway to California, let's take it. Yeah. And so we got a 79 Monte Carlo, beautiful car, and it was a granddad that was giving it as a graduation gift to his grandson in Texas. But it was mint condition, a beautiful car, a yellow one with a black vinyl top on it. Automatic? And, and we picked, oh yeah, we picked it up in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. And we drove from Rhode Island to Dallas, and they give you. We got five days to bring the car down. And did you get paid for that then? Did they pay you, or was no? It just you you just get to drive the car across yeah. the country. And we took a five days. We stopped in Chicago. We came across the north side because Frank knew a, a couple of friends that were going to college in Valparaiso, Indiana, which is not far from outside Chicago. And we stayed there. We got snowed in there actually for a couple of days. So we. We burnt all the free time we had up there, and we burnt it on other stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were college kids, so they were well in tuned. You were smoking a bit of the wacky wacky. Sake, it was a cloud for four days. A, cl a hazy cloud of happiness. And then we got on the road again once the, st the storm lit up. Yeah. And we got to Texas a couple of days later. Massive drive, though. Great road. The American road trip is there's something to be said about it. 
like Boston to me is very Irish. You know, you see it on television. Oh, it is, it's cold. Yeah. It's wet. It's almost like Ireland, w- like in a city type. Right. Like Texas, and I've been to Texas to your uh, out to you tw- twice in my life. It is so fucking different. Like, did you? instantly fall in love with it was it or did it take a while to grow on you or were you like because it is so i even remember when i went out to you first of all everything everything is so much bigger in texas i know like there's a saying about that but like right uh, like even the flags do you remember the fl- we'd be driving in the freeway and you'd have a f- normal flag but their flags are fucking huge oh they'd be 10 by 20 uh-huh. and i'd be like what oh who owns this and it would be like just a small grocery store or a car dealership or, or a car, car lot or something yeah, yeah and like huge fucking flags like so like what was your well how did you feel when you landed there well what, i mean what was your next plan anyway as well so there, well the, there was really no next plan it was just take one day at a time and try and get to california was the plan mm. but uh, you know, got to Texas, and we, st- I think w- we, st- we met up with a couple other lads from Mallow here in Texas, uh, uh, John and Kevin. The biker, g- they weren't in the biker gang. No, 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 no. I didn't know these guys at all. Frank knew them. I know John. But again. And uh, Kevin, I know Kevin as well. Again, there was a three-week lapse of, you know, <laughs> a cloud of smoke and a bit of open smoke going on and all that. Right, right, right. And we woke up three weeks later and Frank and our son, we had 500 bucks left between us. <laughs> and we said, that's not going to get us to California. We need to get a job. Right. So we, we decided, well, in, we're in Texas, we need a car because the transport, the public transport is non-existent. You really need a car if you're going to do anything down there. Yeah. So we went into one of these cowboy car lots and 500 bucks slapped down and got a 72 Ford LTD, a boat of a car. Huge thing. You could lay across the back seat and sleep comfortably. Go away. 500 bucks. And we f- figured out pretty soon why it was 500. The drive shaft <laughs> fell out of it two miles down the road. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank was a bit of a mechanic anyway, you know, and I grew up in the car dealership, so we... Figured it out. We got went to a junkyard and got a second-hand one, and we put it back together ourselves. And we put the word out at the bars we were in. We were looking for a job, anything, painting, construction, doing whatever. Yeah. Make a few bucks. And we ended up getting a job with Lubbs Construction, which is where I met Debbie. That's where Debbie was the secretary at that company. You dog. But we, we got the job painting their warehouse, and then we we kind of merged in with them in their regular construction uh, efforts, which was they were doing a lot of remodels for a kinder care, which is a, a preschool-type place, you know, a kindergarten-type. Yeah. But they were franchised. They had loads of them around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we so were remodeling all of them. So you, so you're working there, and and Debbie's working there, and Debbie is, for those of you who do not know, your wife. Yes, love of and your life. She was the one who was handing the paycheck. You to go get your paycheck from her every week so at the office. So that was a big day. A big there day. Was, there was an extra ten minutes spent in the shower that morning, <laughs> and an extra glob of hair gel and a, an extra spray of cologne. Because today might be the day she might talk to me. Yeah. You know? And like, how long, did, so did you, so you, you, you were collecting your, that's kind of romantic. So you're collecting your check at the end of the week and yeah. all week uh, from Debbie. Yeah. She's giving you a check. Do you like. And the highlight of the week was going in to see Debbie and get the paycheck and maybe get a couple of words in. And get a few words in. And, and how did that, how did that progress? Well, um, well, the guy we worked for, Jim, Mary, his wife was Debbie's aunt. 
Okay. So her first husband was he's was her brother. But he got killed. He got killed in a motorcycle accident, oddly enough. Got hit by a train. Jesus. But that was long before I came on the scene. But anyways, we just kind of, you know, we were... We just kind of hung out, you know, and we'd go out and... Deb was a b- bit of liked her beer. Yeah. Mary liked her beer and I liked her beer. And so we'd do afternoon happy hours and stuff. Yeah. And it just progressed until we actually went out on a date and... Can you remember your first date? I do. It was a place called Players. Kind of a nightclub type thing. Yeah. First time dancing with Devin. Cool. It was the first time where it was all the attention was on her rather than it just being in a group setting, you know? Yeah. I had the eyes for her. She was the only one in the picture. Everything else was blotted out. Sweet. And uh, and that was that would have been 86 probably... When did you get married? And then next year in 87, we actually got married. And um, and we didn't have a church wedding or anything. We just did just the peace stuff, you know. And how old were Tanya and Tasha? Um, well, that would have been 87. So they, they were six and seven, I'd say. Six and seven. So but I'd known them for a couple of years now at this point. So uh, when did you know Tanya and Tasha? When did you, when, when like, did you know when they were like four and five or? Yeah, probably yeah. five and six, I'd say. So now you've been comfort. So just to like, just to paint a picture, you were this free-spirited biker dude, fucking on the way to California, and now you're after meeting the love of your life. This is how weird life is. This is how fucking beautiful life is. Yeah, you're after meeting the love of your life. And how old are you when you're married? Let's see. It would have been twenty and eighty-two, and this would have been eighty-six or so twenty-four, maybe. So you're 20, 24, married, and now you've got two kids. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a massive change. But was it like, like all I can remember, I remember you coming home with Debbie, I think, was it was it 88? 88 was when I brought her back, When yeah. you came back. And I just remember, like, because my memories of you, right, are as a kid, before you left, I remember you, um, when we were moving to Mallow from Middleton, and I remember I was in a car with you, and you were t- telling me that you were moving to America. And then my next memory of you is you coming back with Debbie and you were like film stars. You were like you denim jackets and like uh-huh. just like a, like you big long flowing kind of black curly hair and Debbie was like a model and you know I was just like wow who's this guy like? Do you we know just I mean? found another way to be posers that's all. You know you but you were like, but like coming back to Newmarket you looked the shit like do you know what I mean? Right. And uh, I just um, like but, but you're but you're 24 and you're now you've got two small kids and you're married and where what happens next it's a big change like it is well the construction thing then kind of fell apart and they moved back up then he moved the whole operation up to illinois where he was from originally and so i did take a look at the life and look around and see okay what's the next move so i signed back up to school and i went to a college called uh, o'brien institute not o'brien brian just brian institute and it was a crash course for six months or something, or four or five months, on computer programming. Wow. And uh, when we both went to it at the same time. We got grants and stuff and co- and from the government. And So you went back to college, kind of, so, like, that's all right, just And just for a quick stop, it was only a six-month type course. But what it did was it got 
they kind of guaranteed placement after it into, you know, something in, in that area, in that field. Mm. And I got a job at Texas Instruments out of it. That's where I ended up at Texas Instruments. I remember that. And I spent about, I'd say, four or five years there. Only two of those were actually physically with TI. The other three would have been, there was outsourcing going on back then. It was a lot of, you know, there were other companies coming in to run departments and they'd call it outsourcing, but I became part of the outsourcing company that yeah. came in and took it and did that kind of business for the next 12 or 15 years. So it was a kind of corp- kind of intercorporate kind of life then for a while. Oh yeah, full corporate. Yeah. And suit and tie and I remember you to suit and tie and desk yeah. and briefcase and the whole lot. I mean, I and you you job. were like you were you you were, were you hiring people then for a while? Yes, so it's kind of gone full full circle. Where it's you were kind of like what Leona was doing. Yeah, doing. it's the same guy. It was job placement, but it was all IT based. Yeah, and um, and yeah. we worked we worked with big companies, AT and T and Sprint and yeah, Nortel and. And you were r- rising up through the ranks of that fairly every time. Every time we'd hear back, anyway, we'd be like, "Mike's after getting a raise," or "Mike's after getting a promotion." Or, yeah, you know. But no, it was good at it, and it was a good, a good run. Yeah, and then um, life is going on. Ashlyn and and uh, Mike are born. Mike yeah. are born, and now you've got four kids. Right, four small kids, <laughs> and uh, you decided that. Um, to leave the corporate world. I did. I got fed up. Like I said, there was a lot of buyouts and yeah. and things going on. You were just staying one step ahead of the curve. <coughs> I always felt like I was one step away from being living under a bridge. You know, you always felt like you were... Right. It never felt secure. Yeah. That's not that's not easy. Like, that's stressful. Yeah. And uh, I eventually got fed up of it. And I, I had a neighbor, Ken, who was doing the window cleaning I business. I remember Kenny... The golden tea. And <laughs> Kenny used to, I used to go out and do a bit of work with Kenny on, on my off days or weekends or something. Cleaning windows. Just just need to make a bit extra cash for drinking money probably. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Kenny, w- he was constantly turning away customers. He had a huge overflow. He couldn't keep up with it himself. Yeah. So I had the brainwave that, shit, if I get my pickup truck, throw a couple of ladders on the back. I can t- work off of his overflow and start my own operation. Yeah. And that was about in 2002 when I made that decision. And I sold everything and bought the truck and geared up with all the equipment. Another adventure. Took off on my own. Complete, like... Cleaning windows. Cleaning windows. And you, your company was Windows and More. Windows and More. You had some... Exciting, dynamic um, staff work with you down through the years. Well, I mean, mostly it was my son Mike, but you did have Kevin and and some of their friends. You know, you had one very good-looking Irish fellow working for you at one stage. Oh, I had a guy uh, Cornelius was his name. He he went into the comedy business. I hear. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a dynamic. He started his own window cleaning company. He did, but he had a weird uh, (laughs) uniform. (laughs) He came over in his GA shorts. Which were the gayest things you ever saw in your life? Whoops. <laughs> this is this is a walk podcast now. You can't be using derogatory slang. Okay. Well, I didn't say the bad one. All right. Okay. I'll leave you off. I'll leave you off because of your generational but racism. Connie was a sight to behold in his GA shorts climbing up a 24-foot ladder. <laughs> and not a bother on him. 
not a bother. I'd have the old. I had the O'Neills. I was wearing the O'Neills before anyone was wearing the O'Neills first as a style thing. But you, you were like Christ Almighty, Connie. They're like gym shorts. Get them off. You're giving giving me shit for wearing them. Yeah, because his boxers were coming down to his knees <laughs> and his shorts were up to his nuts, sir. <laughs> but yeah, but I besides the fashion faux, faux pas. Like, I mean, like you could rely on me when it came to, we'll say, like, you know, if there was a painting job in a car lot or anything like that needed <laughs> to be done, I was the man to, you know, like, yeah. technically... And you can take this with a grain of salt, but there was, you could let him off on his own. <laughs> and I don't think you could expect a Mona Lisa when you got back. It'd probably be more like a scribble of Dali or whatever <laughs> A Dali, Salvador Dali. So, yeah. yeah that's, I have a Salvador Dali painting behind you there. Impressions of Africa. I'll show it to you there in a minute. Um, yeah. So you you did, but like that was the thing. You had your started your own company, Windows and More. Um, I branched out with the More, then I started More started to become a lot. You were doing school, yeah. Different. Remember schools? Remember we were like in doing schools? Yeah, I had a, four different schools that I was. Yeah. It was doing all their maintenance and stuff. I used to come along and not know, like, like I honestly was it's like, why did you even pay me? I tried, <laughs> I tried to get Connie to drive a nail into a piece of wood once, and he actually bent the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> How he f- did that, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I just not built to do that kind of work, but uh, I fucking went there anyway. And we, but we was we did, like we did a bit of work in between a lot of drinking. Now we'll have to you have to admit that we did. There was a lot of drinking and a little bit of smoking going on. But um, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, you start like what I love about that is the, it's the constant theme is there's always something exciting happening. There's always, you know, you'd, like I know you were working in corporate for a couple of years and you had to do that because your family are young as well at that stage. Yeah. But like, like when when you started Windows, when doing the Windows, you know, Tanya and Tasha were like probably college at, at that stage or nearly moved they were definitely moved out anyway or close oh yeah. to moving out like. close would you and um, the, the other two Lachicos were well into school you know and you were like you were taking a calculator risk I can do this but to get your to reclaim your freedom as well for a certain to a certain degree because weren't you getting like problems with your back and stuff when you were working in corporate I didn't I had a couple of back surgeries that I did in the 90s yeah that kind of shut me down for a while but a lot of it had to do with the, yeah just not being active enough yeah and uh, and with the window cleaning, sorted that out. Yeah. And I did that right right up till 2018. 2018, yeah. And uh, I'm going to get on to that there now. Um, so, yeah. What happened in 2018? Well, it was actually 2018 I came, well, Niall died and... T- 2016, I came back for his funeral, and then I came back two years later for his anniversary and an anniversary get together. Yeah, and that was in uh, December of 18, and then I went back to Texas, and two weeks later I had the stroke. Yeah, and it was just uh, out, uh, you know, as they are happen always, it's out of the blue. Nothing expected. Just woke up one morning and couldn't put my feet under me. Yeah, actually tried to get out of bed, but just fell completely to my knees and. Bounced the head off the ground and stuff, you know. Yeah. Knew there was something wrong and told them to call the the, the emergency services and I carted off to a hospital. Spent about four weeks in ICU and diagnosed with a brain clots that caused it. 
But it pretty much paralyzed me on the left hand side. So I'm only half a man now. You're not. You're a full man. You're a full man. Look at you. You're sitting in the John Hume war room. Yeah. Well, two and a half thousand miles away from where that happened. And you know, if you told me I'd, I'd be here last year at this time, I'd, I wouldn't have believed you. But this is this is what I'm saying to you. This is like if you're looking at your life, there's there, you're, you're, there's nothing stopping you. Nothing's going to stop you. Do you know? Yeah. And uh, like, you nearly died, like. Yeah, I probably did for a, a millisecond or a second or two, but. I came back and came out of it. And, how, like, how does, how, how have you grappled with the lack of physical freedom? I'd say not very well at times. I mean, it's, it is a struggle. You have to kind of plan everything. Yeah. And you have to look at the obstacles, not just physical obstacles, the mental obstacles. Yeah. And try and work them out in your head before you actually attack them, and see if it's if it's even a possibility, because some things are not a possibility. Because I had to come to terms with certain things that are never going to happen again. You know, yeah. Like I was an avid golfer. You know, we talked about PGA earlier, and I I realized at one point I had I have played my last round of golf. Yeah. That's something that'll never happen again. There's too much dexterity involved, and yeah, and it just coordination. I don't have it anymore. So. Yeah, that's gone by the wayside. So you come to terms with certain things like that, which can you know be a mental drain and it can drag you down a little bit. But um, you're you're one of the you're one of the most resilient and positive people that I've ever met in my life, and posit- especially positive. Like I, I mean, I I have countless stories on your mm-hmm. natural optimism, and. For me, like I'm, I fatten on negativity. I don't know why. I, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that about myself. I try to change that. I actively try and change it. But I, I feel your natural disposition, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is, is positive and upbeat. And uh, has that ever waned? I think the stroke has, has taken some of that away. Has because it? I do. Because I mean, just going, going anywhere now, even going out to a restaurant or something. I automatically go to the the issues that are at hand, you know, and I stress about those a little bit. And I, you know, I'd have like they would have to do recon on a step or how to get into some place, yeah, or ask if they have the proper bathroom set up in there, you know, or toilet set up or whatever. Yeah, because I'm obsessed with it. That's, and I mean, then when I leave the house, the only thing on my mind is, okay, when am I coming to be back in my own comfort zone again? You know. Yeah. Because I have a comfort zone built in my own house now. I've got my own setup, and everything is there to kind of meet my needs. Yeah, yeah. So every time you leave the mothership, it's um, being out it of the comfort zone is a huge stress. Yeah, and it's a drag on not just me, but on Debbie as well. I'd say. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, Debbie she's, is she's, she's she's a rock for me now. In all fairness, man, she looks after me like a freaking force field around. You know, the I always the spaceship enterprise. She's always looking out what can get in his way or what. Yeah. You know, she's uh, she's dynamite. Yeah. She's you're you're so lucky, man. You're so lucky. And they all are. The kids are great too. They're all they all chip in and yeah. And try to make it as comfortable as possible, no matter what situation I'm in. Yeah, and that's uh, 
that's one thing I want to talk about. Um, you you've t- you taught me an awful lot about fatherhood. I remember when I was uh, when I was working with you over um, in Texas. Dylan was here. Dylan was twelve, and I was we would we'd email back and forth to each other. That's right. how we were communicating. And uh, I was just watching the way like Dylan didn't live with me. He lived with his mum, and his mum was absolutely fucking amazing brilliant mother fantastic mother i have to say that and, and would give him would have at that stage gave him much better care than i would have been able to give him um, right. but i was like just a dad that took him to the matches and you know i could have been better definitely could have been better um but it watching you with ashlyn i remember ashlyn um was she was still going to school mike was finished school the second time i was over and you'd get up in the morning and you'd ask Ashlyn what she want for breakfast and she'd be like she was like li- your little princess she was like I want pancakes and I want sprinkles yeah. and I want this and um, and you'd go in and you would make her exactly what she wanted and it would bring such joy to for you and she'd be critiquing it and giving it marks out of 10 yes. and, and you'd make her lunch for school and then you'd be texting her how was your lunch and she'd be like a little less fucking peanut butter next time dad or something like that and you'd get so much joy out of that and I I I was fascinated by it at the time. I was like, because I was living a shallow existence of fucking alcohol and drugs and fucking, right. you know, at that peak. And I was going through a depressed, a really depressed period in my life. And I, it, it shone a light into, into me um, to want to be, you know, if I ever got the chance again to, to be just a, a better dad, like, you know. But like all that work, all that beautiful stuff that you put into your children and all the love that you had in your life with your wife and even our family and stuff like that, our extended family. I mean, it's all coming back in the care that you're, that you're receiving. And it's like, it's not even care. It's just like, we just love you so much. Like, and like, I just think Debbie is like my, my, like she's reminds me of Noel. She's just, you're just, I, I think it's, I think, there's a lot to be grateful for in a horrible situation like yeah you know and i don't think you don't i think you understand that as well or you know that yourself. i do and appreciate it because i mean i can go off down a dark path i mean uh, i mean you, you can get quite morbid and dark at times and especially in the early years a couple of first couple of years you know you actually i mean not to turn this into a therapy session but it you know you'd get you'd go down or they're better off without you or they you know this kind of dark kind of thoughts but uh, it never manifested into anything that yeah. dragged me down too far because I'd snap out of it pretty quick because I didn't want to be that type of person anyway and like so that, w- that would have been a d- like when we had all that that you know and you found that and you had the struggles of it like you said there earlier on you never in a million years would have thought you were going to be here no, no. and yesterday I went to visit the grave of my brother and I and the first time I've been back there since they put a headstone in and they actually moved some of the ashes back there. And I was sitting in front of there. I was, like, it wasn't a dark, it was a somber thought, but it was it was thinking that, you know what, I actually thought I'd, my name would be on that headstone before I'd be sitting here looking at his name. Yeah. You know, because it came very close to actually being up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Life is uh, life is, is is funny, man. The way it works, isn't it? Like you just you just don't fucking know. Um, and uh, it's just wonderful to have you here, man. I'm just so fucking delighted to have you here. What what brings joy? What brings joy into your life now? What do you what do you get? That what do you do now, or what what do you love now in your the way you're 
life is now. Well, you know what? I would have to go back to kids again and grandkids. Now I got four grandkids now at this yeah. stage of my life. So they're they're absolutely shout out to little Kevin, Marilyn, and Aiden and Isabel, who are absolutely doing a wonderful job, and Ashlyn doing a wonderful job with her kids. Yeah. And Tasha with her kids. Yeah. Family. And it is. That's that's exactly what it boils down to. It's family and it's having Deb there. I mean, when I when Deb goes off to work and I spend the day at home. I mean, it's a sad moment when she has, when I know she's leaving until I have a good day and I'll see love you and see you later. Yeah. And then can't wait till the minute that door opens and when she's she back home. in the evening. Yeah. Because she has no, like, now used to be a security blanket as a teenager. Yeah. Debbie is the security blanket. You know, when she's not there, I miss her terribly until the minute she gets back and can be there with me again. And it's not for her to be there so she can do stuff for me. It's just to be there, you know, company-wise. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have nothing to complain about, for Christ's sakes. I'm still above ground. I'm on the surface. Kicking away. Yeah. Another joy, then I get joy out of sports. Lots of sports. I'm a huge sports nut. Mm. Man United fan. Man United fan, as far as the soccer is concerned. And then Cowboys, everything to do with Dallas teams. We have four um, national teams there. Cowboys, football, of course. The Mavericks, the basketball team. Dirk. Dirk, who got us the title in 99. Yeah. I got the stars with the you, ice You know Dirk Nowitzki, Dan, do you? do you? know the basketball player? Is it Nowitzki, is it? Nowitzki, yeah. Nowitzki. Nowitzki. Is he German? He is German. We're Wolfsburg. Yeah. Yeah, fam- famous. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly now, obviously. Um, so sports, your family. I just think it's wonderful that that we're, like this weekend, now we've got Nana's 90s. And mm-hmm. we're all going to be there, Mike. Do you know? Yeah. We're all going to be there. And we're going to be miss we're going to miss Nile, you know. Um definitely going to miss Nile. He'll be missed out of it. Um and my son won't be there. Dylan won't be there as well. He's he's got a Oh, really? Yeah, he can't make it. He's uh, uh, that's my fault. 100% my fault. Huh. I told him too late. And he had a holiday booked with Sean and his girlfriend, so they'll be missing as well. But they'll be the the exceptions. Um get that there in a minute yeah i think we might we might we might wrap it up mike okay we might wrap it up um it's been amazing i'm gonna just pause this here in a second Sorry. well i just wanted to say the conversation with cornelius has been has been a highlight for me through the last couple of years you know with the stroke because i spend a lot of time by myself during the day and the new episodes i can't wait i'm on bated breath anticipating that i can check my email i've got a, a notification that cornelius has a new a new uh, podcast up and now the three by the league and has made it doubly fun and then the square ball brilliant shows thanks mike thank you uh, i i i'd often ring you i'm, I'm u- when i ring you i'm usually half jarred it's because that's the time that that that's you have usually finished a gig or something i'll go for a couple of pints and i'll be home here and i'll still be wired and i might give you a call and we'll have an old chat we might talk about a match or you but invariably we'll always have an old chat you'll say oh i love that episode or and you'll go in or you'll talk about it and 
Yeah. I've listened to every single one of them. All 117 now, isn't it? Or 116? This is, well, yeah, we're at 116 now at the moment. So by the time this comes out, this will come out in a few weeks' time. It'll be 120 or 121 or something like that. But you'll have a, you'll have a two-parter, Mike. Yeah. You know, and uh, you're one of the first patrons as well. I want to say thank you for that as well, for your, your, your support. That really means a lot. Um, Couldn't wait to sign up. Yeah. I was actually in a hotel room. Uh, the house was getting refurnished after some storm damage and it's been seven weeks in a hotel and that's when i first started listening to you that was back that was over a year a year and when did you start doing the podcast to a year ago two I years s- or i two started years? it in in the la in 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 the middle of covid in the se- in Jan- in january i think it was 21 21 january 21 yeah 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 and uh, just to get through COVID because there was no gigs and stuff like that. Right. And uh, I was fucking going out of my mind and, uh, yeah, just started it. Sure, I'm only making it up as I go along. But yeah, but not to bring it back to Windows and more as well, but when the stroke hit me, I had to give up doing that, obviously. Yeah. But I still had customers calling, like, off, off the hook for the first six months. But COVID set in, it was right at COVID as well, and that put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Because nobody wanted you coming to the houses anymore. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Well, look, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a good weekend, Mike. Right, all. And uh, I love you, man. And this love you right back, huh? This has been just uh, absolutely amazing, and uh, to be continued. You know, all right. Fair enough. Cheers. Staying by the wall, lads. Staying by the wall. My favorite saying of all time. <laughs> Staying by the wall.